Hello and welcome to the Displaced African podcast. The Displaced African is the African Immigrants Personal Development blog. It can be found at www.thedisplacedafrican.com. Okay. Um and what would you say uh, I really should get to actually the immigrant experience itself, but it's just the whole topic area fascinates me like you cannot imagine. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a wonderful. Anyway, I'm talking to someone who studied it, so clearly we share we share there. But like, yeah. I mean, uh, the what are the skills that are um, that are necessary at the various stages of? of um, of relationships, the courting stage, the marriage stage, early marriage stage, and the later stages. Are there any differences, or are they essentially just the same skills and the same um, things that you need to keep in mind day after day after day? Uh, well, some of the skills, the first major skill is the ability to, ability to communicate well with each other. Um, and communication is two-way, but communication is not trying to shout over the other person. And communication is not thinking of your answer right when the other person is speaking. It's actually listening, actively listening to them. And so that's the number one skill that actually tends to stay right from dating through to marriage. And that's actually one of the number one, surprisingly, that's also one of the top reasons that marriages, uh, people, couples going to counseling, their lack of communication. So communication is a huge deal. The other one is their skills in conflict resolution. How well do you handle a fight? I know pastors who will not marry a couple if they haven't had a fight. And I can explain the reason why. If you don't know how you're going to cope in a small fight, what will happen when something big happens down the road? And then you didn't know that this guy had a temper, or you didn't know this girl had a temper, because guess what? Tempers go both ways. Um, another one is their management abilities. How do they handle their finances? Um, how do they handle responsibility? It goes right from dating. For example, if you're dating somebody and you call them at work and they're staying on the phone for an hour at their job, you need to think about it. How serious are they taking their job at that time? Unless that's their break time or something. But if you're constantly calling them and you're constantly being on the phone with them for a long time, for some people that's a red flag. Are you not respecting the position you're in or... Maybe this guy or girl will tell you, you know what, call me later when I'm, and then call me later when I'm out of work. And that tells you they do value their responsibility as an employee. And the other thing also is leader. How much fun do they have? How much, how much do you want to play together? Because guess what? Couples that play together, not just pray together, but couples that play together tend to stay together. Everybody wants to hang out with somebody who they're having fun with. So if you're having fun with your, uh, guy that you're dating or a girl that you're dating and then you keep building the skills even when you get married it only gets better because guess what laughter is the best healer in many ways laughter is a good healer um i would also talk about for example sexual expectations and it's a that's a big deal for people because if you're dating a girl for example for religious views she wants to wait on having sex before marriage or maybe the guy wants to wait but you meet a guy or a girl who thinks that's an outdated idea? Well, you need to talk about that. Is that one of your non-negotiables or is it a negotiable issue? Um, and then even in marriage, it becomes a big deal. Um, sexual, expect- what are you expecting 
for example, when you get married, one of the things actually I ask couples during the counseling sessions is how often they're expecting to be intimate. Because that kind of gives each other ideas. And sometimes the women will be shocked. They'll be like, what? And sometimes the guy will be shocked. They'll be like, what? Because they didn't ask each other these questions. They're tough questions to deal with. But it helps you to avoid the, quest, the, the, um, the one phrase that people say a week after the wedding. She changed. He changed. They didn't change. You just didn't find out who they were before. And then um, the other issue is their attitude towards kids. Um, of course, if they don't want to have kids and you don't want to have kids right away, then you guys are in the mix together. If you're dating, you kind of get a clue on that. And then what are their views on roles in relationships? Like if you're dating a guy who thinks um, the guy should be the overall authority, the beginner and the end, the alpha and omega on everything, and the guy doesn't believe that, then that will be a problem. Or if you meet a girl who believes she has to have total control of everything and the guy was never used to that, then that's a problem. So when you're dating, you kind of start learning. And you know what? That role ties to their personalities. If they have a personality that is um, dominating you or maybe a personality that is not self-confident um, or even assertive on what they believe or what they want to share with you, then that kind of gives you ideas of how they're going to behave when you get married. So it's good to know these roles, what the expectation on roles are. Again, I come back to spirituality because it's huge, 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 huge. Africans tend to be, we tend to be the highest, the most religious um, group pretty much in the world. Because even before we learned about Christianity or any of other these religions, we still used to worship. Whatever we used to worship, we still used to worship. So it's a big deal. And when you're dating, it's kind of a good idea. If you're a church-going kind of guy, or, um, or you're not a church-going kind of person, or you're in another religion, and then you're dating another, a girl who is not doing the same thing, then you kind of need to work on that. How do you view that? Because uh, people, most people don't care about religion sometimes. If they say they don't care, they don't care about it. But the moment they have kids, that changes. Because guess what? Your religion tends to tie a lot to your values in life. Either your, whatever you practice or whatever you don't practice tends to have a lot um, on, of your values on how you view the kids. So those are some of the things that I would say actually go right from dating into marriage that you kind of need to have somebody look at. Okay. And before we get to the immigrant side of things, what is the role of sexuality in what you've tended to notice and uh, what tends to, um, what a way of framing the sexual experience within relationships tends to work best? Uh, what do you mean the role of sexuality? Just the, um, I guess just the role of sex in general. Once people are married, before marriage, what have you tended to notice? What have I tried to notice? Okay, well, the role of sex actually depends on um, on the couple's personal beliefs. And if they're, of course, like again, and like I said, if you're practicing a particular religion, it also influences your views on sex before marriage and after marriage. Um, and what I would say, for example, what I would say about sex before marriage, and it's becoming quite the norm now for couples to live together. And the new, well, not the new phrase, but the common phrase now is cohabitation, you know, living together and all that. And there's a lot of research that has been done on that because I would talk to a lot of people and they would say, well, that's helping me with my future marriage because I'm getting to know my partner, I already know how they behave, and actually we'll end up having a stronger marriage because we live together. Unfortunately, uh, evidence-based research is showing that's not the truth. For some reason, couples who are living together for a long time before they get married tend to get divorced within a couple of years of being married. And so it's a shock for people because logically thinking it should help you um, 
be closer in marriage, so to speak, because you know each other already. But for some reason, the moment they get into that public place and, and exchange their vows in front of the public or even in front of a judge, something seems to switch. And then, um, so one of the things you're working with couples, and I do a lot of counseling with couples who are living together, I tend to walk them through that, what the expectations are now that they are intimately involved before they got married and what they expect it to be after they get married so that they don't... Because the goal, even though my personal belief is I believe in waiting until marriage, which is a very outdated idea to a lot of people, but that's that's my belief and that was my personal practice. But that's an outdated idea to a lot of people. So what I do with couples, because most of the couples I work with, that's not what they're doing. So what we started doing is walking them through how to keep their marriage successful despite what research is showing about that. So I walk them through um, some of the um, some of the traps to avoid, um, some of the things to be aware of, because what they say is couples who are living together, not all couples, by the way, but some of the couples who are living together will tend to slide into marriage, not decide. They're like, we've been living together anyway, why not get married? So it wasn't like, I'm in love with you, or I made a choice to love you, and let's get married right now, blah. But they tend to slide into it like, eh, we might as well do it. So that tends to be a problem. And so that's one of the questions that I find out from the couples. If they slid into it or if they decided with their head and heart to get married. And that way we kind of work on the sex, on the sexual part of it. But um, the couples who are not living together also and they're sexually active. And so it's good to find out from them what sex outside of marriage means for them as a couple and also what it means what the expectations are once they get married about um, the role of sex in their relationship. And for some couples, you'll be surprised. There are couples whose sex is not a big deal in their relationship. They really might not care so much about it. But then you have couples, mostly most couples, it's a big deal in their relationship, and they kind of want to have a good idea about it. Now, nobody can decide what their sexual experience or expectations should be within their relationship. But what I tell couples is what they both agree on goes for them, what they both respect each other about, they respect each other's decisions concerning their, their sexual marriage, then that's between them. It's not between anyone else on the outside. But again, my view is heavily, heavily influ- influenced by my Christian beliefs. So I'll always share with them that um, for me, and for most marriages actually on research, having any third parties in the marriage does not help. So I, I do a heavy dose um, talk on infidelity within marriage, that it's, it's not going to help the marriage. Having a third person in the relationship does not help the marriage at all. And so that way you, you let the couples in the privacy of their uh, house, so to speak, decide what their sexual roles are. But one of the things that I talk to couples about is the ability to take care of each other in the sexual areas of their relationship to make sure that they're both fulfilling each other's expectations and also, to be fair, to make sure that each partner understands what the other person expects of them in that way. Um, and, of course, when they're married and they have children, that's a big deal. Because are you having kids busting in your room? Do you have the rule to lock the door when you sleep at night? Or are you having little ones? Because little ones tend to do that. They're jumping on your bed. So what are you doing about that? It's, it's actually asking couples to respect that intimate part of their lives and make it, and make it their own sacred area. So... That's how I tend to view the role of sex. It's highly tied to the couple's own values and beliefs about it, but I 
I don't stop working with them just because they don't believe what I believe. I instead work with them towards making their relationship successful. I look at what can work, how we can go forward and make things work instead of just telling them what they did, um, that science or whatever it shows is not going to work. I just work with them towards the positive side of it. And um, is the success just um, to um, get back to what what's, uh, the success is defined as? It's defined as, is it defined in terms of longevity, fulfillment, happiness, or... Um, the go- the specific goals of the couple? Longevity, longevity of the relationship? Yeah, yeah, of the relationship. Oh, okay. What success is defined that Well, success actually, surprisingly, is defined by the couple because each couple um, has a definition of success in their marriage. Um, for some, It depends. For some couples, it might be finances. They feel that they've reached a good place financially, they've both worked really hard and they've kept their relationship together despite having crazy schedules, so to speak. And so for them, that's a definition of their relationship success, that they were able to stay together even though and, and work hard together too. For some couples, it will be they were able to raise a family together. Maybe the wife stayed home or the husband stayed home. And so for them, the definition is the sacrifice that they've made towards raising their families and still being able to maintain their love. For some couples, it's making it through a really difficult time, and a lot of couples deal with that. For example, if you have a spouse who's, who has fallen sick, a lot of, you know that place in the vow that says for sickness and in sickness and in health, we don't tend to think about it a lot, but, but for a lot of couples it happens. And so for them, they might define success as the fact that they've been able to hang in there despite any of the hardships they're experiencing because a spouse is sick or maybe a child is sick, or maybe a parent is sick. And when you think about it, when you're abroad, most of our parents are back home, and when you find out they're sick, that's a huge strain on the marriage because one partner is worried, and then um, in African cases, and pretty much in all, the, in all the cultures, we tend to give money, we tend to send back money to help. And so you have to think about that. Are you going to define, also define success as your ability to support your extended family in crisis? And then, so success is not just love and, and um, it's not just the feeling of love in the marriage. You tend to define success according to the circumstances and actually what you both decided to define success as. Because for me, what I define success as in a relationship is the ability to go through all the crazy cycles of life while still holding on to each other without letting go. To me, that's success, that is success in a marriage and that success in a relationship because everybody, every couple has really hard stuff they have to go through. But the ability to stay together and stick together, I actually wrote a blog on that, stick, I've been, the ability to stick together makes a whole difference. And to me, that's the definition of, of success, sticking together through thick and thin in marriage. Okay. So, I, okay, this, since this is an African immigrant's blog, I may as well now get to it. What... <laughs> <laughs> what have you tended to notice? Because I think this is something that is, I mean, relationships in general just aren't discussed that much, but I think in the African immigrant community, I guess, because we're so new um, to a large extent, there really isn't any, there are no rules to a large extent. So I guess, um, what have you tended to see um, in the, in the Africa, since you are, of course, one, the African immigrant couples that tend to work and tend to have, you know, positive relationships? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would actually speak about the first role models we saw when we came to school. And these were most of the, the pastors and the older couples 
in the churches that we used to attend, watching how they've been able to adjust through the years. And some of them had been either citizens, of course, in this country, or had been residences, um, permanent residents for a very long time. And then um, listening to their stories on how they were able to adjust. And the first thing they all pretty much shared was the ability to be flexible in roles. I cannot emphasize how much that is the key skill in surviving as an, as an immigrant couple. Um, your ability to adapt your roles and not stick to the defined African uh, roles that you're expecting each other to play. Um, like I said, because when you come here, everything changes. You, you have different schedules. Uh, maybe one spouse is going to school or maybe both of you are going to school and maybe you have kids. Whatever the situation is, the ability to adjust your roles makes the entire difference. And so um, um, the other thing I found out also was um, if you can find a way to get a support group around you here, because at home we have the whole family, you have neighbors, people you grew up with, everybody knows you, and they're kind of your um, an official support group. But here, when we tend to live in communities where we might not know anybody at all, it's good to find a group that you fit in. The same concept I had about couples finding couples in the same level of life to kind of walk them through this, it's good to find a support group of couple, older couples even and check up on your local. Um, there's always, almost always a local African paper or a local home paper or a website, like now we have the web, you can pretty much click and find out which other couples are living near you who are going through the same um, immigrant experience or immigrant challenges along with you. And they kind of help you also find resources um, on, on places to do. Like, for example, um, you don't know what to do with your new kid, but you need to put them in a, in a daycare or whatever. It's a good thing to find out. It doesn't just mean only an African can tell you, guess what? Also, your new neighbors in the country that you've moved to, you'll always find a good couple in a different culture who will also identify with you. Because some values and love, like you were saying, does go across cultures. So it's not just finding our own role, role models within our own culture, so to speak, but there are other people in your neighborhood who might also share the same values you share. And maybe they'll tell you, you know what, you can get this kid in the daycare through this and that or maybe they'll walk you through a process. Another thing that I highly, highly encourage people is find out if you have a resource center in your city for uh, people who've moved in and they're new. Kind of find out if they have a resource center. Go online. Especially if you're living in a city that has a large population of immigrants, chances are they will have resource centers that help you in a time of crisis. And then if they don't have a resource center, there'll always be something that you can look at. And most of the time, it's non-profit organizations that, off that offer services that you can take advantage of when you're not sure what to do. And, and for me, um, in observing other couples, that has really, really helped, watching them go through that and then they share with us the experiences they've been through. So I, I would say that that really would be the African immigrant experience as far as relationships and finding a support group to take you through this time as you're adjusting to being here or being um, whichever other country you're in apart from Africa. Okay. Um, so you've said um, the biggest challenge um, is the flexibility of roles. What other, what are, yeah. um, other unique challenges and the solutions that you've t tended to find work for those unique challenges? Okay. The other unique challenge everybody will agree on is finances. Money, money, money is a huge challenge. And so you have to figure out how 
you are going to do the money question. For example, um, if you've just moved into a country, and of course every country has its own law and whatever, how, how people live when they first come in. So chances are if you're a newly married couple and you move together here, then maybe your school has married quarters living. And surprisingly enough, um, the international offices in schools tend to have really good information, most of the time, will tend to have good information for married couples moving in. They can kind of let you know if they have hostels or dormitories, for speci- especially for married couples. And then that way you kind of get a fo- your foot in the door. And then the other hard issue comes with work. Not every place um, allows the whole work thing, and so you have to work with... For most of the time, the students have to work in school at that time. So go ahead and apply at your local university for that job, and at least you're having an income coming in before you get your degree and maybe even change your whatever paperwork to allow you different um, different modes of work and all that. But at least at the beginning, um, talking to the office helps you at the beginning because they're always out to help the students adjust in the area that you're in. Um, and so finances are always, are always a big deal for any couple. And also because you're supporting, we tend to be supporting families back at home. So that's, that tends to be a big deal. But the good news about it is actually research is showing that when immigrants come in, because they realize how many opportunities are here, when they've learned how to fit in the system and work with the system, they've discovered ways to actually be rather successful and, and be able to kind of overcome that hurdle on finances. And so for me, and what I've observed with people here, and even for us, finances tended to be the hardest thing, especially if you're paying for your school fees. And then um, maybe your parents or your family is only able to pay for the first year. Then you have to make every effort to find those scholarships um, and then figure out do they have special div- um, programs from a couple that comes in that's married. So I, I think that's the other thing that I would say is a big deal, the ability to get your finances working for you. Okay. Any other challenges or... Um, oh, for challenges for immigrant mm-hmm. couples. The other thing I, I kind of noted was when when a couple comes in with degrees from home and then you find out whichever country you're in does not really accept your degree, even though you spend all your years studying. Um, and to some point, they always say that about, for example, in New York, the chances are you'll find somebody who is working at a job, but they're really, they have a master's degree or whatever, but they, or even a doctorate or a doctor's, degree and all that, but they couldn't be allowed to work in that profession because they need to get new certification or whatever. So that tends to be a challenge. And so it's good for both partners to figure out, and hopefully this is advice that will go to people who are thinking about moving to any of the countries in the West. Find out uh, which country or rather which state or province will tend to accept a degree that you have from home. Because the saddest thing that I've, I've observed is parents coming in from home, and there are these big wigs, big wigs in, in offices and, and organizations and whatever, offices at home, but when they come here, their qualifications do not matter at all, and so they end up uh, maybe working as security guards, and I don't have anything against security guards, but their qualifications are way, way higher than that, so it's good to find out before you come. Do some preliminary research on how your education is going to transfer to the place you're going. And I would say move to a place that is going to support what you already have. Um, and that's one of the things that I, I, I share with people. Don't expect to leave your nice paying job 
at home where maybe you are getting a company car and all that and expect to find the same thing here or expect to find the same thing in other countries in the West. So that's a good um, sober, sober thing for them to look at because if your degree is not accepted and that brings a, a strain on your finances as well. Um, the other thing I talked about was that I, I wrote down, actually I wanted to talk about, was acculturation and that's how much you adjust the culture. When we all come in, married or not married, we all have culture shock, whichever country you go in. And I think you've written about that in your blog, which I have to say I absolutely love, by the Thank way. Thank you. And um, I totally love what you've written and the, and the work that you've done on helping people adjust. It's just a, it was a genius idea, and I think I've written that to you several Thank times. Thank you. And one of the, the, one of the things is acculturation, getting used to the culture that you're in and, and um, having a sober reality that you are going to be shocked. There are things that are different. Because culture shock goes the same way. Westerners are shocked too when they come home because every culture has its own way of doing things. And so it's a good thing to be ready to adjust to the culture. And also um, something, maybe we'll get to talk about this another time. The realization that I'm going through now, my friends are helping me go through, is that your kids born in other countries are not going to have the same behavior as you had when you were growing up because they're being influenced by the place they're mm-hmm. living in. And so it's up to the parents and up to us, actually, to decide how much of acculturation or getting used to the culture and adapting to the culture we're in, how much of it are we going to adapt. And what I always say is uh, strive to adapt the good things from the culture that you're in right now and then strive to find a way not to let the bad things get in. Um, of course, that's a struggle, but that's a good way of putting it because every culture has good things to offer and bad things to offer. So it's up to us to be wise in what we want to borrow from the culture and what we don't want to borrow from the culture. Um, I think in, on that one is um, the one place where I might have, um, I, I guess, some of the better insights that are there because, you know, fortunately I came here when I was young and I have two sisters yeah. here and, of course, my, my parents are here. And I have, I've seen um, how this place um, tends to affect people and that is very, 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 as in um, if anyone wants to raise kids abroad, I, I can't really give advice, yeah. but that is so true. You the, the, Because, yeah. like, for, um, like uh, for example, I came when I was 15 and... The, it's very interesting what tends to happen when people are 15. Like, if you look at most of the people, most of my peers now, they have adopted the, the, very much the hip hop lifestyle. A lot of them. Or yeah. the ones who haven't stopped yeah. become very socially isolated. So it's very hard actually. Like, if you come at my, I don't know why exactly, I don't even know why to be honest with you, I still relate to the African community. Mentally, I actually shouldn't. Um, statistically, an, an anomaly. I really should be very westernized by this stage. So it's, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I really, I shouldn't even be talking to you with this accent. My accent should be thicker. Yes, that's the first thing I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, yeah. Whenever I meet um people who've come from Africa and they they ask me how long have you been here, they I tell yeah, yeah you know yeah I've been here yeah I've been here for a while, and they say no no you haven't you just came the other day because of the accent and because they can for some reason they think still think I'm still they still see that I have the African way of doing things but like my sisters for example they my my youngest sister, she is eight years old now. Eight? Is she, is she eight? No, she's eleven. She's eleven, and yeah. uh, like for example, she doesn't know at all any of the native languages, and she's um, she doesn't understand the culture of home at all. Now, my old, the one in yeah. between is interesting because she's very, extremely westernized, 
but she's trying so hard because I guess she's having the same problem I'm having of you don't you don't you want to feel like you're still part of home so she's very much trying to learn the language and stuff like that so it that's a whole area yeah that's a whole interesting area yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's hard it's it's really I can't imagine um even what the kids are going to face like talk about like us our generation like, are you going to try to teach your kids Swa, Swahili, or whatever language we speak? Are we going to attempt to teach them? Um, and then what happens when they start talking that language, but they're really twanging? And so, I mean, they have an American or whatever, English, or whatever country we're living in. They have that accent. And chances are they'll learn the languages um, in the countries that we're living in faster than they will learn the, our mother tongue languages. And so that, that, that tends to be an issue. And so, yeah, you're right about that. I was going to say, you have quite, you still have um, the Kenyan accent, which is very refreshing, by the way. <laughs> um, I, after I came here, I was like, you know, I don't understand why we used to make fun of people who had accents mm-hmm. at home, because it's natural, because we celebrate people here when they have their accents from the other countries, yep. and then we were the ones who used to find it funny. I was like, no, now I totally don't want to leave my accent. <laughs> Yeah, no, though I'm, I'm, I should say that my accent does change when I talk to foreigners. It changes depending on who I'm talking to. So. That's true, because you want to be understood. <laughs> a lot of Africa, yeah, that what, 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 what? Yeah, a lot of people struggle with that one when they come. This has been the Displaced African Podcast. The Displaced African is the African Immigrant's personal development blog. You can find it at www.thedisplacedafrican.com. Thank you.